Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Well, Houston has a new G League team, and we'll talk about the dumpster fire over on LaBranch, then cleanse the palate with a little Astros exhibition games. Hey, they're getting started. And then finally hit on the latest with the Texans. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, I've watched the Rockets for 40 years, and I can't remember a stretch of games where they looked anywhere near this bad. It feels like an assignment to watch the games now. I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Robert, and I've followed them just slightly longer than you. And, you know, even during the post-Moses Malone years when they were, you know, putting themselves in position to win the coin flips for Ralph Sampson and Hakeem Olajuwon, I I just, uh, you know, maybe that stretch, but gosh, it it was so long. I I don't even think they were that bad then in, in this stretch. And I know you're a big numbers guy, Robert, so I've got some numbers for you. I mean, we know the Rockets have lost 11 games in a row as we were recording this. Of course, they're playing... Uh, later tonight, so maybe it'll end by the time you hear this. But in that 11-game losing streak, they have been blown out nine of those games. And in the 11 games, listen to how many points they've trailed by. 13, 25, 29, 15, 22, 18, 29, 31, 19, 23, and 49, which is what it was with the Grizzlies. I mean, that you can't possibly get any worse. I mean, guess it's the only thing we can take from it, right? If my math is right, their average margin of defeat, Stephen, 18 points a game over that stretch. 18 points. Average. Yeah, average. That That is the average. And when they trail by double digits, they are 2-20. and 20. It, It's amazing with this stretch that, you know, they would even, it's like, where did those two wins come from? I'd have to do some research on that. I want to go back to when I worked for Channel 20 in the Rockets video production department 20 years ago. This was the year after Akeem and right before Yao. So uh, transition year for this organization. They won just 27 games, and it was a lot, a lot of Steve Francis and Catino Mobley dribbling, 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 and then missing shots. Not super fun to watch either. You had a young Steve Francis and a rookie named Eddie Griffin who appeared to have real potential. So you thought, eh, maybe maybe there's something there. When I watch games this year, though, without Christian Wood in the lineup, this group gives even less hope than those guys, Stephen. Well, and you take a look at the uh, Grizzlies' loss. I mean, and even those guys didn't shoot as bad as the team did on Sunday night. It was the worst shooting in their franchise history, 27.7% of all their shots. And I had to look at this at least two or three times, Robert, because I wasn't sure I was reading it right. Did they really shoot 8.9% from three-point range in that game? I mean, goodness gracious. Oh, it it was... uh, Do you get to halftime of these games without just going, "Eh, what else is on? What what else can I watch? (laughs) I don't don't see how you can't. And I I think what's really, you know, unfortunate about this whole thing, Robert, and, and look... It's natural. I think we're, we're all human. You know, even professional athletes are human, believe it or not. When you start going through a long stretch like this, it, it's obvious that your confidence wavers and, and pretty much gives out. You know, John Wall even said it himself that the, the team basically quit. They played without pride. Well, you know, when you're losing 11 games and you're getting blown out in most of them, I think even the greatest player would, <laughs> would have to just – totally feel like they'd rather be doing something else. I mean, it, it, you don't want it to happen, but it's got to when you, when you start going in a long stretch like that. A couple of big picture questions we've got. So a few weeks ago, I said it made no sense to tank. You lose your pick if it's not in the top four. Everybody knows that by now. But now I look at a team who looks incapable of making the playoffs, even if Christian Wood gets healthy. Remember, they released the second half schedule It's a bunch of games back-to-back, super condensed. Key guys will be sitting out games all the time, the John Walls and the Victor Oladipos, et cetera, et cetera. Is it time to tank, Stephen, and give yourself the best odds to keep that lottery pick? I mean, (laughs) you might as well. Well, and the way they're playing, some fans have probably already started thinking, well, maybe they've already done that. Um, 
you know, you'll, you'll never hear that publicly and certainly not from the players who are trying to play hard. But as this thing goes on, Robert, it, it just it becomes obvious that the Rockets aren't going to make the playoffs. I mean, the Western Conference is too competitive. But as you've even said before, the NBA lottery, I mean, it's not like, you know, if you're in the NFL and you're one of the four worst teams in the league, you're going to get one of the top four picks in most cases. You know, it's not quite like that in the NBA. It's more of a chance type of thing. But, you know, as this thing goes on, the, the Rockets may not have to intentionally tank. They're just they just keep losing. It's just that simple. Yeah, no, I, I you wouldn't even call it tank. But it's like as a fan, I guess you're starting to openly root for them to lose. You know, you, you, you get in the top 10 and you get a chance at the play in. The Rockets are five games out of the play in. But it just feels like they're, it, it doesn't it feel like they're about 20 games out. It just doesn't seem like it's even that close. Yeah, it does feel like it. And, and and you know what? I think even the, the, the most diehard fan would say, well, you know, even if they get a play in, what are they going to do after that? Well, you do have the Astros to draw from, I suppose, in that weird 2020 scenario where they were 29 and 31. They shouldn't have even been in the playoffs, only because they had extra spots. And then they go all the way to the ALCS. But man, I mean, even the Astros weren't this bad, Robert, when you start talking about how they could get it together in the playoffs. I mean, I just don't, I don't see how you could even think about that with this Rockets team right now. Have we had the equivalent of the butt slide yet for the Rockets? The Remember that? <laughs> yeah, the good old butt slide. And uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's a, it's a butt slide where you slide so hard that you just totally rip your pants and your underwear. It, it's, it's bad. It's bad. If you're one of the three worst teams in the NBA, your odds of staying in the top four and keeping that pick is only 52.1%. It's it's not much better than a coin flip. If you're the fourth or fifth worst team, it's 45%. So basically, you want to be in that top three to give yourself the best odds, for example. Uh, the 45%, I mean, it's closer to a coin flip. It's only 7% worse. But then when once you drop to the sixth worst pick, then it's 37.2%. And right now, the Rockets, they're currently third worst in the NBA ahead of the Pistons and the Timberwolves and Minnesota desperately needs to be in the top three or they lose their pick to Golden State part of the Wiggins trade Stephen so it, it's really gonna be a fight between the Rockets and the Timberwolves we gotta keep our pick <laughs> well you know what that percentage is actually better than the Rockets' three-point percentage, you know, coming into the Grizzlies game, they were only shooting 33.9% of their threes. Can you believe that? The, the worst in the league? So that, <laughs> that percentage you're just talking about, gosh, even their three-point shooting is worse than that. So, I, you know, at least there's a little hope with the lottery pick, for goodness sake. The thing that has really bothered me is Daniel House because he's somebody that I was so excited about a couple of years ago. You know, er, er, earlier in our, in our uh, podcast this year about the Rockets, I, I, I was pretty vocal. It might have just been a couple of weeks ago. I was pretty vocal about how it's a waste of time to give P.J. Tucker as many minutes as Silas gives him. And I, I'm going to get to P.J. again in a second. But somebody who's been a little more quietly killing them is Daniel House. He's far and away their worst plus minus player. And if I'm reading NBA.com stats right, the team is averaging, and, and I want to say this was before last night's game, before the 40-whatever, and it, it, trust me, it, it didn't help them last night, but the team is averaging minus seven per game with House. Of the regulars, P.J. Tucker, PJ Tucker is, is the next worst with minus four, which is it's a pretty big gap. I mean, you, when you're dealing with plus minuses per game, that's a huge gap. That's three points per game worse then your second worst player and consider like John Wall, who's getting a lot of playing time is only at minus 2.7 at this point. Yeah. I've said this about Daniel house quite a bit, Robert, even last year. And, and for quite a while, I, I just, I have not been sold on Daniel house, especially with his consistency. You know, you had the contract thing a couple of years ago, and then you had those incidents last year, but it's it really just when he, when he shows flashes, you think, man, this guy could be really good. And just when you start thinking that, he starts sliding backwards. And then, you you know, you add the injuries on top of it. I, I just have not been completely sold on Daniel House. And 
the way he's been playing lately, I'm, I'm certainly not going to buy into him at this point. The thing that got you excited was he looked like he could be a really good three-point shooter, and that's just fallen off the map. Because if, as a defensive player, he's taller. He, you know, He's a good wing guy, it seems, but he's really not that great of a defensive player. And he just these days, he just kind of falls on the ground a lot on, on the offensive end for no reason whatsoever. It's like he, he he's trying to do too much, probably. I mean, everybody's trying to do too much with the Rockets right now. But you, you don't need to play Daniel House, especially when, to me, the guy that makes the winning plays out there is David Nwaba. Play more David Nwaba because at least he makes plays that win games. I mean, look. We, we talk about them trying to lose. It, it's it's not like they have to. So I just want to see the right guys play. And then that gets me to my next big concern, Stephen. And, and we talked about this before the season. And I said, okay, uh, who who should the Rockets hire as head coach? Because remember, it wasn't that long ago. We, we had a really short offseason. It wasn't that long ago where they made that decision of, we're going to go with Steven Silas and, and somebody that didn't seem to enter the conversation very much, but you know, he, she was out there was Becky Hammond. And I said, get Becky Hammond because, you know, I like the way the Spurs play on offense. They get everybody involved. There's a lot of ball movement, that type of thing. And, and everybody said, Oh, Steven Silas, he's brilliant offensive mind. Look what he did with the Mavericks. But look, the Mavericks had Luka Doncic. I mean, Luka is, basically James Harden and, and and they're playing this five out offense and they've got these bigs that can all shoot the ball. And those, those are hard to find in the NBA. But you know, my opinion was give this to Becky Hammond right now. Steven Silas does not look like much of a genius on the offensive end of the floor. I mean, you, you can't be missing this many three point shots and be, I mean, they're worse than the NBA in three point percentage, but they're still taking a lot of three point shots. So how is that? make him a genius offensively. Yeah, I remember when we had that discussion and you did bring up Becky Hammond and and I thought it was a very intriguing, you know, thought. And it's certainly, it, it's easy to look back on it now and say, well, maybe they should have done that. I mean, Steven Silas is a guy that you want to pull for. I mean, I think he's he's a class guy. He's pretty laid back. and But I think you said it, Robert, the, the Rockets just don't have the guys. They don't have the James Harden type anymore, the Luka Doncic, whatever, to make that sort of thing work. And perish the thought. I I, I couldn't help. I, I tried to keep from thinking this the other day, but my mind just wouldn't let me. Is it possible that James Harden was right? Could James Harden have been right that the Rockets were beyond fixing? And that he, you know, one of the reasons he wanted out, obviously, I, I hate to even think about the fact that, you know, I mean, James did his part to kind of ruin things here, certainly. But, man, you, you look at this team, surely they wouldn't be this bad if Harden was still here, right? No, and I, yeah, I, and no, I'm not saying they shouldn't have traded him. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I just, it, it just, when things get this bad, your mind starts wandering into all kinds of places. Yeah. And I think it's, and it's skewed by Christian Wood. I mean, this is all skewed by Christian Wood, right? Well, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if Christian Wood were in there, the, the scheme of the game would certainly change. But I think, you know, even with Christian Wood in there, you know, they probably wouldn't have an 11 game losing streak, but it just, Man, things are this bad. One player just can't possibly make a team this bad. It can make a team this bad when defensively you stink because you have no size. And and that's my big complaint with this whole organization. Yeah, you have no size. And then, you know, when you start missing shots, you start basically just limping back on defense. I mean, that's what has been a problem with this team throughout is when they aren't making their shots, their defensive intensity completely goes out the window and it just seems to get worse every game. I guess my point with Steven Silas is, yeah, I get it. They, they don't have a lot of talent right now. It looks really bad. It, it, they're discombobulated. Guys have been in and out of the lineup. I, I understand all of the reasons or whatever, but there's a difference between getting literally pummeled on a nightly basis and being sort of competitive. And, and the problem with Steven Silas, as I see it now, is can you think of champions – like Phil Jackson or Steve Kerr or, um, I don't know, Rudy Tomjanovich. Can you think of champions that couldn't figure out a way to make their team a little bit more competitive and not get pummeled on a nightly basis? And offensively, they're, they're just th th this ridiculousness of we're going to play a five-out offense and encourage guys to shoot three-pointers 
when they're the worst team in the NBA shooting three-pointers. Do you realize the Clippers, Stephen, are averaging 42% or close to 42% from three? The Rockets have two guys that hit 42%. Christian Wood is one of them. He's out right now. And the other one is Sterling Brown, who plays 10 minutes a game, and yet they're still (laughs) shooting three-pointers like they're somehow a great three-point shooting team. You know, one of the greatest attributes of a great coach is being able to motivate the guys. And and I don't know that Steven Silas is one of those that you can point to and say, man, he's a guy that that's really going to just light a fire under these guys and, and get them going. And and that still remains to be seen. But but, you know, from the, the body of water that we have right now, it's it, I think it's big enough to say that at this point, it certainly isn't working if that's what he's doing. But you know, the, the great coaches that you think about, the Phil Jacksons, the Greg Popoviches and those guys, they they I just you can't possibly see them being in this kind of a stretch for this long where they play this bad. The other thing I want to ask you about is the, the Rockets made an offer to Victor Oladipo two years, forty five million dollars. That That's the report. I think it's around forty five million dollars for two years uh, as an extension. And this could have been just. You know, we're going to show you that we're interested to begin with or we want to get a deal cheap type thing. But let me just ask you this, Stephen, as somebody that's had a chance to see a little bit of Victor Villatipo up close and personal. What do you think about that? Because you got a guy right now that's for the Rockets anyway, that's shooting 39 percent from the field. 29.5% 29.5% from three. Yeah, I think it would have been too much. I, I don't know that he's worth that kind of money. And and the, But the problem is, is that, you know, as I've said before, that is the main guy you got in the James Harden trade, and you let him walk now, which is appears is what's going to happen unless you can trade him at the trade deadline and get something for him. Then that's all you're going to have to show for the James Harden trades. I just think it all goes back to that trade that I feel like the Rockets should have gotten something much more than that. But they got Victor Oladipo, who... It just frankly hasn't been worth his salt at all much. Uh, you know, when he first came here, he had some flashes, but that's been about it. So no, I, it doesn't surprise me that they offered him that. And it doesn't surprise me that he said no, to be honest. I, but I'm not going to sit and cry too many tears if he walks away, but it just would be a shame that that was your main guy for the James Harden trade. And you don't even have him to show for it after the season. Yeah, I, I just I, I'm not a big fan of what I've seen from Oladipo to this point. Although, you know, he still might be recovering from the leg injuries, but I, I don't know if he's ever going to be what he once was. And he was a borderline All Star at best when you got him. So, is, is that somebody that's really worth spending anywhere close to twenty million dollars a year? Because right now they're they're, they're probably going to want to be getting out of this Eric Gordon contract in the not too distant future. And Eric Gordon's played great this year, but. Uh, yeah, he, he's somebody that's making $20 million over the next three years, and, and he's not your future, and he's only going to get worse as he ages, and he's only going to get more injured, which he's, he does that quite a bit without uh, any help whatsoever. Yeah, One of the trades that I, I, I threw out there, Stephen, and uh, you know, I don't know what you would think about this, but this might be the best way to get rid of Victor Oladipo and get something back, is you trade Victor Oladipo to the Heat, and the Heat is a team that he's – wanted vocally to go to. So how do you get Victor Oladipo to the Heat, and how do you get him there where the Heat don't feel like they're giving up too much? Well, Duncan Robinson is in the final year of his contract, and he's going to be asking for a bunch of money. I don't know if the Heat can afford to pay him a lot of money, and maybe uh, they're not interested in in that. He's maybe just a three-point marksman. They see him as that, not much else. I don't know. But the Rockets could use definitely use a guy that could hit shoot some three-pointers, and I would rather pay him money overpaying Victor Oladipo at this point. So, you know, we've also talked about the Rockets needing size. So I thought of a three-team trade where the Rockets get Aaron Gordon from Orlando along with Mo Bamba, who's got one more year left after this year, and he's basically been a non-factor, non-playing guy with the Magic. So why not take a shot on a seven-foot guy that actually has a little bit of range as well. He can shoot the ball was very highly touted coming out in the draft lottery pick. You know about Mo Bamba, Stephen. He played at the university of Texas. That's right. He sure did. So you, you, you would get Mo Bamba, Aaron Gordon and Dunk, Duncan Robinson. You would give the heat Victor Oladipo to, to match up contract wise with the magic for, for Aaron Gordon 
and Mo Bamba, the Heat would give them uh, somebody like Olenek and, and Iguodala, for example. And then the Rockets, to, to where the Magic could get something back for Aaron Gordon, which is the big thing they're giving up in the deal, would give away that this Portland first-round pick that's right now sitting at 22 this year. And then the other first-round pick that they could give, which d- doesn't feel like it would be much to give up, would be that Wizards pick that's got all of these things attached to it. You know, you, it's never going to be a, a top 10 or top 8 pick with all the attachments, I believe. So it appears that they would get a couple of first-round picks out of it. And maybe you could throw in something else or you could get the Heat to throw in a second-round pick or, or whatever. But that would give you Gordon with a little bit more size, you could take a chance on a Mo Bamba and, and then you would add a shooter in Duncan Robinson and feel like, Oh, you just, you, you didn't let Oladipo walk away for nothing. Boy, I, if I were the Rockets, I sure would do that trade in a heartbeat. I, I don't know that, you know, that the, the heat would go for that necessarily. They could probably just sit and wait and get him in free agency. But well, I, I would take a look at that. I mean, Duncan Robinson by himself doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you could sign him up long-term and then get some guys around him because, you know, it, it, as di- big of a hole as the Rockets are digging themselves, they're, they're not, he's not going to make that much difference for this year. But going beyond that, you know, if you got him and, and some more size, and hey, if you got Aaron Gordon and you kept Eric Gordon, you'd have Aaron Gordon and Eric Gordon. You'd have that covered too <laughs> as far as the names are concerned. But no, if I were the Rockets, I boy, I'd, that would be a dream trade in my mind. Aaron Gordon is, you know, six nine, long arms. He's somebody that you could put alongside Christian Wood. It's another guy that really is not that good of a three point shooter, but it's somebody that you could put alongside Christian Wood with a little bit of length and defense and and help you there at the four spot. For for once, they would have some size at the four, which that hasn't happened uh, with the Rockets in a long time. And then you said it, Duncan Robinson. You, you'd you'd have to sign him. But if you're the Rockets, what are you going to do the next two or three years? You're going to have to maybe overpay somebody a little bit to get them to stay with the Rockets. But, you know, I, I would much rather pay Duncan Robinson $20 million a year because he at least makes three-pointers, shoots three-pointers, opens up an offense in a way that Victor Oladipo can't do right now. And he's a young guy. Yeah, and I do believe, and I was going to say this too a little while ago, but I do believe you're going to see the Rockets skewing toward younger. I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see P.J. Tucker traded at the at the trade deadline. I mean, I've, I've heard rumblings about several teams being interested in in him. So I think that, you know, you know, no matter who they're going to go for, even if it was that trade or something else, you're, you're going to see the Rockets start moving in that direction, which, which I think is really the only thing they can do if they're going to get better. And why are they playing P.J. Tucker at all? much less 25, 30 minutes a game right now, Stephen. I don't get that. Well, I don't get that either. But, you know, at this point, with, with all the injuries and all the things that have happened, I mean, it's like, who else do you go to? I'd say you bring up K.J. Martin, who you're playing a little bit earlier in the year with all of the injuries, and just, you know, let him develop, see what he can do. I mean, they, they've got him signed for four years. He can jump out of the gym. Another guy that, of course, cannot shoot three-pointers, but he can develop. He's 19 years old, and at least – he can leap and block shots and get rebounds. You ever heard of them? <laughs> oh, yeah, rebounds. That is, that's definitely something the Rockets, uh, you, you might have to review them in the dictionary what that definition is because that is certainly something they haven't been doing lately. And, and I think that, you know, that's been brought up too. And certainly the way things have been going, why not give some of these guys? I mean, we were saying that about the Texans, remember? You know, let's give some of these young guys a shot. Let's see what they've got. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if in the very near future we could see a K.J. Martin, maybe even a Kevin Porter Jr., although I, I don't know if you're going to see him in the near future, but certainly well, well, hold on. K.J. Martin. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Porter and K.J. Martin, they've said after the All-Star break, which we got to wait four more games for that, they're going to bring both of those guys up. We're, I think we're going to get big doses of them for sure. They've said they're bringing them up. And they should. I mean, at this point, what have you got to lose? You, you certainly like what you see, the, the potential of K.J. Martin. At, at the very least. Yeah, and hold the phone with Kevin Porter. I see all the fans just going nuts like he's the the second coming and blah, blah, blah. Look, he's somebody that Cleveland just gave up for literally nothing. I And, and, he's, and he's got the issues that go beyond the court that you have to be concerned about. But if people thought that this guy was going to be 
you know, I've seen people put up the, on Twitter, oh, James Harden. If they thought if it was going to be James Harden, wh- whatever the mental issues he's got, there would have been a, a line of teams that would have been like, hey, maybe we'll take a shot with that guy. <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't know where – did they – they spend too much time on Twitter. That's all I can say. I just – yeah, I don't know where they're getting that from. Yeah, I, I'm not saying he can't be a really good player because he, he's he's a lottery, you know, lottery pick – Without the the other issues, I think involved, he would have been a lottery pick. I, I just think that had a lot to do with it, and so he drops to you know first round pick, obviously, but late, late, late in the first round. Um, but he he was considered a, a huge potential guy coming out of high school too. So anyway, let's well, hey, let's move to sunshine, good news, and actual hope. Stephen, spring trading's here. Oh, man, you know I'm loving it, Robert, because you know that baseball is my favorite sport. I don't care what level. I mean, I'll watch a Babe Ruth League game if I had the chance. So you know I'm excited about that. And uh, the Astros played their first game on Sunday, and they did it right. Yeah, they lost. But, you know, who cares? It's spring training. But the big deal, Robert, is they had fans at the games. That was what was really great. And the players were talking about it after the game. You know, they're obviously much fewer than what you're going to expect. But fans are fans. They're not cutouts. They're, they're actual people sitting in the stands, Robert. Why in the world is Dusty Baker pitching Brandon Belak on opening day? Did he forget about Fromber? I mean, what happened, Stephen? Yeah, I know. And and you just barely you know blinked your eyes in the first 30 seconds. And the Astros were already down four to nothing. I mean, Brandon... He had, you know, some promise when he first started out last year, but then, you know, when the shutdown and spring training occurred and got it back, he just couldn't get it. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I was a puzzling move. I mean, you know, you, you've talked a lot about some of the moves that Dusty Baker makes and you just add it to the list. Obviously, I'm kidding a little bit about the BLAC thing, <laughs> but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to a, a move that Dusty has said he's basically strongly considering it in just a second. But uh, the positives. I mean, we got to talk about that. Altuve, he says he's changing the way he he's going to throw the baseball, and and Dusty says he looks better at this point. Bregman and Tucker have added a bunch of muscle. Yuli says last year he was too heavy, so he lost fifteen pounds. Jordan says his knees feel great, even better than they felt in his rookie year. Hey, this is all good. Well, is it ever? Well, you know, with with the way Houston sports is going, Robert, we we need some positives. We'll, we'll take them anywhere we can get them. You know, Altuve made some solid contact with the ball in, in his first game in spring training. So, you know, I mean, as hitting, I'm not so much worried about. It's his defense that we obviously need to think about. You have to hope that these guys start coming through. And, you know, here's some more positives. You know, you've got two guys who at least have said on the record that they want to stay in Houston. I mean, imagine that. Somebody wants to stay in Houston, Robert. You know, James Harden didn't. Deshaun Watson doesn't. Victor Oladipo apparently doesn't. But Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers have both publicly stated they really do want to stay here. If they can get a deal done, they'd be all for it. Now, obviously, you've got to put that to paper and make it happen. But gosh, at least somebody is saying that they want to stay in Houston. That That's definitely a start. Big thing, and, and this is a question for you, with Carlos Correa, he has said openly there's going to be no negotiations on a new contract once opening day comes around he wants to concentrate on baseball we've heard that from players before now that could be just you know taking a stance or whatever but do you think if they don't get him signed by opening day that carlos correa stays an astro no just going on the history that that we're talking about i mean they they have shown that tendency especially lately that if if you're not signed by spring training, that's it. Or I mean, by the regular season, I should say, they're going to let you walk because you know they're going to demand a lot of money. Now, there are a lot of, almost all the great shortstops are on the market next year, Robert. You know, Correa's just one of a few, but he's still going to be in high demand. He's still young enough. You know, my, my biggest thing with Carlos Correa, yeah, he had he had a season where his health wasn't an issue, but it was a compressed season. It was 60 games. I, I want to see what he does in a 162-game season. Well, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to find out what kind of season he's going to have through that whole year until after the regular season starts, which in that case means a deal's not done. Then it's it's too late at that point. So 
I'm just I, I'm still kind of on the fence of whether I would lock Correa for a long-term deal. I mean, obviously, you want to keep that infield intact, but for a multi-year contract of what he's going to be demanding, you know, I, I haven't even heard that the Astros have, have started any talks with him at this point to make that happen. And, you know, the, the regular season starts next month. So while there, there may be some time, there's not a whole lot of time to get this done. You see what George Springer just made with the Blue Jays. And George is older. He's not a key infield position like Carlos Correa is. He also doesn't have the baggage of, of the injury history. But what do you think about what you would potentially have to sign Correa for? Because, look, you mentioned something that's a big deal. The Corey Seegers and the Francisco Lindors. There's a bunch of shortstops, not just those two guys, that are out there. So there's not a ton of teams that can give a ton of money to anybody these days in baseball. There's the few teams that can drop a bank account on those guys that's that's a much bigger deal. But look at what you would think Correa would ask for, and I would guess it would be more than George Springer would be asking for in that, that early 20s number. Do you give him $30 million? Do you give Carlos Correa, who's got the injury history, $30 million a year? Uh, see, I and I've said this for the last couple of years. I, I just don't know that if I could. And and the problem is we're not going to know what kind of season he's going to have. I mean, if he, he if he stinks up the season, you know, then you go, well, he's probably going to have a little more trouble getting that sort of thing. You know, Springer, it took him a while to get going, and it was a weird season. I mean, it was, it was a weird season for everybody. But, yeah, for Carlos Correa, I, I just don't know that I could, Robert. I, I, sentimentally, I would, because obviously he was part of that 2017 tainted <laughs> World Series team. And he is clearly, really, I, I think, stepping up to be one of the leaders of this team. But you still have to produce it on the field consistently. And over a 162-game season, I, I just don't know. If Carlos Correa can do that, he hasn't proven that he can in the past either. I want to get to something that Dusty said that pissed me off in the last week or two. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I've had my issues with Dusty occasionally and then sort of warmed up to him after the postseason last year because he looked like a much better manager. It looked like he figured some, some things out uh, as far as just how he handled pit, uh, pitching staff, which is always my biggest concern with Dusty. Um do you have any ideas why I'm mad at Dusty, Stephen? Any guesses? Well, you know, when you said that a little while ago, I was, I was kind of racking my brain. Um, I, I can't think of anything at the moment, but I'm, I'm sure you'll enlighten me. <laughs> well, I, I heard him say he's leaning towards Miles Straw at leadoff. Not a big fan of your worst hitter, worst hitter at leadoff. Yeah, that is a head scratcher. I mean, I, I think... You know, Miles Straw, if, if there's one guy that I'm actually pulling for to be the surprise guy this year, it would be Miles Straw. I mean, you think about it, his speed could certainly put into play for that, but your leadoff hitter needs to get on base, and that's the one thing that, that Miles Straw doesn't do well is just get on base, draw more walks, bunt, do those things. I mean, look, you, you're not going to get the Springer power in that leadoff spot, certainly not with a guy like Miles Straw. And you're not going to replace Springer that way. But when you have guys like Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, I, I think you, you certainly should give those guys a shot before you give a shot to Miles Straw in the leadoff spot. You know, but the biggest problem is, especially when you're talking about center field, what the Astros have now, Miles Straw is the guy that's going to be in center field. But to bat him leadoff, yeah, I, I don't know. That's going to be and something very interesting to watch as the season unfolds. Well, let me go through what the thought process is, according to Dusty. Altuve said he didn't want to lead off. Well, he's made that known in the past. So, yeah. Yeah, that's one of your key candidates. So, uh, if you look at who potentially could lead off, obviously, Brantley's too slow. Correa doesn't get on base. He's not that great of a walk guy. You start looking through your options. And to me, and I think we might have mentioned this at one point, but... The, the two key ones would be Bregman, who takes a lot of pitches and somebody that can walk and great on base percentage guy. And that's somebody, well, Dusty says, well, he drives in a lot of runs and I get it. And, and, and Kyle Tucker, who is super fast, uh, who's getting better by the day. And once he gets on base, he can steal bases with anybody. 
So those would be the two primary candidates because it's not going to be Yuli or Jordan or any of those guys. So if if I'm looking at this, Stephen, Kyle Tucker would be my guy because he can steal bases. And I, Dusty, I heard him say, oh, but he drives in, he drove in all these key runs for us last year. Well, you don't think Brantley drove in key runs and can drive in runs and Jordan and Bregman and all two. You got guys up and down the lineup that drive in runs, but y- you want somebody that not just when he leads off can get on base, but somebody that is just a better hitter than Miles Straw. I mean, Kyle Tucker is maybe potentially a 900 OPS guy. At, at worst, though, I think we saw last year, he's an 8 to 850 OPS guy on the regular you know, Miles Straw is never going to be that guy. I, I can't imagine him ever being that guy, period. No, and, and Robert, here's the thing is that you've got so many of these guys. Somebody's got to step up, even if it's somebody that typically drives in a lot of runs. I mean, somebody's got to step up to that leadoff spot. And here's the thing about Kyle Tucker. He does possess some power. And and look, I, as I said, I'm not suggesting that you're going to replace that George Springer leadoff thing, you know, with the leadoff home runs and things of that nature. But Kyle Tucker is capable of driving the ball out of the park. So if you put him in that leadoff spot, you might occasionally get a home run to lead off. You certainly have the potential to get him on base. Not only is he a fast base runner, Robert, but he is, I think the way he runs the bases, as smart a base runner as he is, that's underrated. Yeah, just, you know, he can not only steal bases, but he knows how to navigate around the bases. The one thing that I hesitate, you know, when you talk about Altuve being the leadoff hitter, you know, Altuve is not the greatest, not, not the smartest base runner in the world. How many times have you seen him get picked off or, you know, caught between bases where he just doesn't make smart decisions on the base pass? That that alone, combined with the fact that he doesn't want to bat leadoff, <laughs> would, would make me not want to put him there. But yeah, I would say Kyle Tucker is the best, and then I'd probably put Bregman right behind him as who could be your leadoff spot, just because of all the qualities that he brings. If it's me, Maldonado's in the eight hole, Miles Straw's in the nine hole. So you have Straw, Tucker, and then Altuve in the two hole. You have three really fast guys right there bunched together. And outside of, you know, that first at bat, you don't assume that, oh, Kyle Tucker's always going to be leading off and there's never going to be guys on base because we know Maldonado can get on base and, and he's going to take some walks and he's going to be in scoring position at times. And if, if Miles Straw gets on base in the nine hole, he could be on second in a hurry. So, you know, to me, that lineup makes total sense. And, you know, I, I just feel like you put your best hitters at the top of the lineup because they get the most at bats. That's why the analytics guys have thrown out the <laughs> idea of let's get the guy that can't hit anything but a single, but he can run really fast at the start of the lineup. Well, and, and here's, you know, Dusty, we've, we've always known that he's old school, no matter what he says about paying attention to analytics, we analytics, we know that he's old school. He's looking at the, the speed kind of guys, you know, the, the Ricky Hendersons and those kind of guys to be at the top of the lineup. But the game has changed. And and look, let, let's not forget, if he could just come back and stay healthy, you've got Jordan Alvarez to think about. You put him in the cleanup spot. I mean, there's your lineup right there at the top that is stacked all the way, you know, and, and then you get Correa in there and these other guys. Yuli can come through again. I mean, if you do it that way, Robert, if you think about all the positives, and they're not all going to come into play, but if we could just fantasize, this Astros lineup would be really potent if all those things came together. And what Dusty does is if he he leads off Miles Straw and Yuli's in the eight hole, you have Yuli in the eight hole and Miles Straw leading off, so he gets so much uh, an opportunity to have more at bats than than Yuli Gurriel, like one of the been one of the best Astro hitters. I mean, he had a terrible year last year. Like I said earlier, Yuli said I, I weighed too much. I was a little out of shape. That was the problem. It's going to be. I just can't imagine Yuli going back to what he was doing at the end of last year. That's just not the, that that guy. Unless he just has fallen off of a cliff. Boy, uh, that's what I kept thinking last year. It's like, man, this is not Yuli Gurriel, and just like Jose Altuve in his defense, this is not Jose Altuve. So if we're talking about regression to the mean, you know, with a lot of these guys who had such great years maybe tapering off, I'd like to think that the opposite is going to happen with guys like Altuve and Gurriel, you know, and some of those guys that they just come back stronger 
then the Astros will certainly be much better, even over the full course of a season. Any other Astros or just Major League Baseball news that caught your eye over the last couple of weeks? I'm just so glad that baseball has finally started. And the, the big thing is with the fans, I, I will say now, you know, as great as it may seem to have fans in the stands, what I'm going to keep an eye on, Robert, is I, you know, I know it's been over a year removed, but when fans do come back in the stands, what is the treatment going to be like with the Astros, especially when they go on the road, even, you know, when they're not in their own spring training park, is how the fans are going to treat them and how they're going to be able to handle it because it hadn't been that long ago that the cheating scandal happened. Yeah, we've had COVID and we've had some life-altering situations, but there are some fans that tend to have long memories. So that I'm going to keep an eye on just, you know, how much is it going to taper off from what it might have been last season if there had been fans in the stands. That That's going to be what I'm going to keep keep looking at this year. Yeah, they got four players to boo. And honestly, we know Altuve, by all accounts, was not involved in, in doing the cheating. So it's basically three guys. You can boo Correa, you can boo Guriel, and you can boo Bregman. Yeah, but Robert, you know how fans are. They'll they'll boo a rookie. They'll, they'll boo one of these young guys from last year, even though they had nothing to do with it. I mean, that's just what fans do. And then their, their neighbor that actually knows baseball will say, why are you booing that guy? He was like 12 years old. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. You know, fans are fickle, as I've always said. All right. Well, we'll we'll move to uh, the Texans, and unfortunately, occasionally we're going to have to talk about the Texans. So I'm going to bring up. Wait, you don't want to talk about the Cougars basketball team and then the Texans and save them for a level? No, let's let's end on a good note. I, I like your I like your where you're going here. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And and look, Casario, he's starting to slowly pull off the scabs that Bill O'Brien left him. Duke Johnson, Nick Martin, they get the old heave-ho. They were waived. I'm sure we're far from done with big contract Texans getting axed because uh, there's some more guys that I know are, are in the bullseye. The unfortunate thing, Stephen, is we're, 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 every time this happens, we're, there'll be these constant reminders of the idiocy, the, the complete and total idiocy of Bill O'Brien. Yeah, and I keep wondering, oh, is the Bill O'Brien curse going to strike every time – Nick Casario moves to cut one of the players that, you know, Bill O'Brien was so keen on giving a big contract to is Whitney Merciless next. I had a friend of mine ask me that yesterday. So, you know, he's, he's itching to get rid of Whitney Merciless. Like, is he next because of his ineffectiveness? Well, you know, it's certainly possible, but I, I think that this is what the Texans are going to have to do. And, you know, but it still all comes back to the same thing, Robert, and that is to Sean Watson. And, and they have just put themselves in such a corner that, no matter how many more moves they make with these, it's all going to come back to Deshaun. And I just think at this point, they have to trade Deshaun. There's just no way around it. Did you call it the Bill O'Brien curse? Is that is that our new thing? I for did. This? I did call it the Bill O'Brien curse. You know, saying that every time that he gets rid of one of his players, <laughs> the curse is going to strike you. I'm, I'm being facetious, obviously. Well, it's not going to strike. It's You're trying to get rid of the curse, though, right? It's it's already there. That's the problem. You know, are they going to keep losing? <laughs> it's, it's yeah, I know. No, I, I think Nick Casario is is doing the smart thing. I mean, we you and I have sat on this podcast so many times and talked about giving the big contracts to the Nick Martins and, you know, the, the Whitney Merciless and these kind of guys. So, you know, and the Duke Johnson, I mean, I kept hoping for more things from Duke, but it didn't happen. So clearly that needed to take place. Well, it's the Easterby curse partially, right? Well, yeah, because he's still there. So, yeah, the Easterby curse is it. It's just taking over where O'Brien left off. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, and the the <laughs> Texans. I mean, this is this, this reminds me of not not particularly a Bill O'Brien bad move, but really a, a Rick Smith bad move. But Lewis Nix, real sad story, uh, found dead this past weekend. And Lewis Nix, if you remember, Texans 2014 third round pick. I was covering. The team at the time, it, it, it seemed like you were excited because here was this big nose tackle out of Notre Dame that could really be a, a difference maker or that that's how it was pitched. But he had a big history of injury problems. And then Bill O'Brien hated the guy. You know, it just basically, I don't know what happened between the two of them, but it never got on the right path. Do you remember this whole Situation. Yeah, I, I do remember. Yeah, I, I know you were closer to it than I was, but I do remember hearing some things that Bill O'Brien, of course, who did Bill O'Brien like outside of Deshaun, maybe, or, you know, 
<laughs> so there was a lot of players he didn't like. So I didn't pay too much attention to it at the time. But yeah, there there were some definitely some issues with Lewis Nixon. He never quite lived up to the billing he had. You know, he had some knee problems that I think plagued him. And uh, just unfortunate, uh, that whole situation. More than not live up to the billing. This guy did not play a third-round pick, did not play a down. The curse of the third-round pick for the Texans did not play a down for the right, Texans. Right. And, and, and then OB waves him. Um, it, it didn't bite them because, like I said, this is more Rick Smith issue because Rick Smith was very much involved in this pick. I mean, he's the general manager at the time, and he plays – for the New York Giants for a total of four games, period, uh, in, in his NFL career. That was back in 2015. He bounced around the league, you know, just a little bit, I guess, uh, with Jacksonville and, and Washington, but nobody else really played him. So uh, the, he was in an armed robbery. I didn't even notice this story back in December. Did you see that? Yeah, he was it. He was in an armed robbery in December where he got shot. And then here's the freaky thing, Robert, is, you know, when the, when they found his car and they found him, it was near the gas station where the robbery had taken place. And, you know, from what I read, he was supposed to, I guess, meet his brother at his dad's house. He got there and then he left before his brother arrived and said he, he didn't tell anybody where he was going. And then, you know, then he's reported missing. So they file a missing persons report. Next thing you know, they find his car in a pond that was near the gas station where he had, you know, the robbery had taken place and he'd been shot two months before. So, you know, obviously there's, it, it's a tragic story and there's some mystery still, I guess, in, in, you know, shrouded around it. So it's just a shame. I mean, just, you always hate to hear this, but yeah, I, I remember the name and I just remember how disappointing that he was when he was with the Texans. It feels like it's going to be a Dateline piece, right? <laughs> I mean, Boy, it, it certainly sounds like, I mean, just all the, you know, because some of the details just don't fit. I mean, there's there's some pieces of the puzzle missing, which I'm sure are going to come forth if they haven't already. But just, you know, based on what I've read, there's some pretty uh, disturbing situations going on there. All right, let's move to our final topic, and that, that's the Houston Cougars. And I had on Jeremy Branham, who calls the Cougars games last week. Go listen to that if you haven't already. It's uh, really interesting what he has to say. And, you know, Stephen, I, I flipped on the game on Sunday. And, yeah, I mean, Central Florida, they were playing them, not necessarily a good team. But it's still pretty remarkable when I flip on the game and, man, they're off to a great start already. And as I'm watching the game, I'm like, wait a second, I don't think this team has scored in a while. And I'm talking about Central Florida. The Cougars scored 26 consecutive points in the first half. It was over with by like 12 minutes into the game. It's something crazy like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, Robert, that the Cougars are capable of of having those stretches where they just can't miss. But, you know, the one thing I have noticed, and I've noticed this over the last two or three years with this team, is they can also have the stretches like what South Florida had. They They get in these long, you know, four, five, six, seven-minute stretches where they can't shoot. And that, I, I just think that worries me more than anything. And, you know, they've stubbed their toe a couple of times. They, they only have three losses, so it's not like, I mean, they are far and away the best basketball team in Houston. Not not even, no one's close, obviously. So they're winning. You know, they, they may have killed their chances of a, a top seed in the NCAA tournament, but they're going. And if they could just get that consistency going with the shooting, they certainly could be a team to watch as they go deeper into the tournament. Grimes can get on a roll, and that's what you're going to need for him at times in the tournament. But they've got other guys that could get it. You mentioned you know, them going into stretches, but they shouldn't. I mean, Grimes can shoot the ball. Uh, Sasser can shoot. You've got Mark that's been fantastic uh, at, at, in moments. I mean, they've got some guys that can get on serious roles, and, and Dickie Giroux's getting better as, as the years progress. Oh, yeah. All of those guys you mentioned, you know, and then Fabian White Jr.'s returning, you know, may take him a while to get back on track. But, yeah, they're they're getting some guys that are in the groove. I really like Traymond Mark. I mean, every time I watch him, I just think, man, this guy's going to get better and better. And then it just – but, yeah, they, they certainly have the upside, and, and I'm not discounting them in any way. But that is the one thing that, that worries me. You know, when you get into the NCAA tournament, you can't have stretches like that. But Kelvin Sampson, I mean, I just – I feel like – you know, when I look at 
the intensity with which he brings, you know, and you, you know, we talked a little while ago about a coach that can really motivate a team. Just the, the intensity that Kelvin Sampson has, it rubs off on those guys. And let me tell you, he doesn't put up with those kind of things when, when he, he'll get on them for even the slightest thing. And maybe some people think it's a bit too harsh, but he gets those guys ready to play. And nine times out of 10, they're, they're going to come out and do that. Yeah, I think I said Central Florida. I meant South Florida. South Florida, uh, right. Right. And and so the the uh, Cougars, the only game left on their schedule, I believe, is Memphis. And then the tournament starts. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Now, when we get into March, you know, we're starting to think about it. And boy, at this time last year, it was all kind of up in the air. Are we going to even have March Madness? And unfortunately, it didn't happen. So now we just have to keep our fingers crossed that we are going to have a tournament. You know, it's it's going to be it's still going to be different, but a tournament's a tournament. So we're getting very close to that, Robert. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. I can't wait for the tournament and just to see what this Cougar team is capable of. And I think you said it with Kelvin Sampson and his intensity out there um, feels very much the opposite of Steven Silas. And then the way the Cougars play defense and rebound, it couldn't be more opposite than what we see from the Rockets. These days. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the Rockets should, uh, Go watch some Cougar film or some Cougar practices and uh, take some take some lessons. But no, I, I mean, if you're a basketball fan, you've got to be excited about what the Cougars are doing. And certainly with the, the way the Rockets are playing, um, yeah, I'll be watching more Cougars games. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's much more enjoyable. It's much more likely to be a blowout the other direction. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. In a good way. <laughs> Just a reminder that we'd love your feedback, questions, suggestions, topics. Uh, let us know. Message us through fa- Twitter, Facebook, email, info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.